Wondery Plus subscribers can listen to the takeout ad-free right now. Join Wondery Plus in the Wondery app or on Apple Podcasts. This spring, if you'd rather spend time enjoying your lawn instead of trying to keep it alive, there's good news. True Green is the easiest and most affordable way to get a beautiful lawn. All you have to do is water and mow, and they'll do the rest. Weed control, fertilization, aeration, and even some things you might not even think of. They'll do all of it, while you can do literally anything else. With True Green, you can have your lawn looking as good as a putting green. That's not hyperbole. True Green is the official lawn care treatment provider of the PGA Tour. True Green offers a satisfaction guarantee, and they have a verified best price promise, which guarantees you the lowest price with no compromise on quality. You do you. Let True Green do your lawn care. Visit TrueGreen.com to get the best lawn at the best price with the best people guaranteed. You can host the best backyard barbecue. When you find a professional on Angie to make your backyard the best around. Connect with skilled professionals to get all your home projects done well. Inside to outside. Repairs to renovations. Get started on the Angie app or visit Angie.com today. You can do this when you Angie that. Five, four, three, two, one. But who's counting, right? And his name is Major. Oh, ladies and gentlemen, please welcome Major Garrett from the nation's capital. Major, fantastic. It's the takeout. This is a major achievement. With CBS News Chief Washington Correspondent. Major Garrett. Yes, CBS. Yes, hi. Major Garrett. Major, that's nonsense. And you should know better. Is Major out of the doghouse? (laughs) The answer is yes. Welcome to the very best part of my broadcast week. This week we are going to continue our conversation about the FBI generally and in some respects specifically. As you might know by now, I've had this project for the last two years, which is now reaching you via every podcast platform you can find. You see it over my shoulder, both left and right. Agent of Betrayal, The Double Life of Robert Hansen. We'll get to that in due time. First, however, I want to bring in our two special guests, at least for the early part of this week's episode. John Miller, former colleague of mine at CBS, and Ann Began. John, I want you to introduce yourself briefly, and then Ann, I want you to do the same, and then we'll get into our subject that we're going to discuss. John, go first. Well, Major, um, I know you from our time at CBS News. I'm uh, at CNN now, but in between, um, I worked at the FBI as an assistant director. And during this story that we're going to talk about, I was the deputy commissioner for intelligence and counterterrorism at the NYPD. Excellent. Anne? Hello, Major. I am a 23-year veteran of the FBI turned producer. I'm a co-creator and executive producer of FBI True. And excited to speak with you and John about the Chelsea bombing, a case which I happen to be in the FBI New York during. So I have firsthand knowledge of what happened. It was uh, one of the first, it was actually the first episode that we filmed for FBI True and a story that I had never seen told and I felt was a perfect fit for our show. Excellent. And Began is the executive producer of FBI True. FBI True, as you will probably not be surprised to learn, is on the great CBS television network, as am I, as you probably already figured out. Um, Ann and John, you know each other well. You've worked on this story that we're going to talk about in greater detail in just a moment. But first, I want to ask you both a question that I don't think is unreasonable and I think is probably on the minds of my listeners and viewers. What do you believe is the current reputational status of the FBI? Ann, go first. Well, I think the FBI has taken some unfair hits in recent years, and part of the impetus for creating this show is to get back to basics and to remind people who and what the FBI is and what FBI agents do day in and day out to keep Americans safe and why it matters. So I'm not going to disagree that we've taken some unfair criticism, but I truly believe we need to get back to basics and remind people about what the FBI is all about. John? I think the FBI has been dragged into the politics of a lot of what it investigates. And that is, you know, an unfortunate fact of life for an agency that has always struggled, A, to stay out of politics, B, to deal with issues of public corruption, um, and C, to be the one agency that, you know, had a director that was appointed for a 10-year term, was apolitical, it had no other political appointees throughout its ranks. Um, but I, 
I think when you're when you are called upon either by Congress or by others to investigate either the president, um, politically corrupt members of the government, um, elected officials, they're not going to say they're not going to say anything good about you. So I think, as as Ann points out, they've taken a lot of slings and arrows, uh, mostly for doing their job. And, you know, they've made their mistakes along the way. Um, anybody that, uh, you know, recruits from from the, the pool of human beings will have some of those. But I think uh, one of the good things about this show and telling these stories is it reminds people what the FBI really does every day um, when it's not taking the slings of arrow slings and arrows of politics. It's um, doing things that no other agency could do in law enforcement. That's why it regards itself as the preeminent law enforcement entity in the world, not just America. And in this context, let's talk about the Chelsea bombing case. It's one my listeners and viewers might not remember, or they might remember vividly. In either case, catch them up on the basics and your actual involvement. Well, at the time, I was assigned to the press office in the New York field office, and I remember um, hearing, it was a Saturday night, I remember hearing, you know, reports of what had happened, and it was all hands on deck in the office. And it became, um, you know, immediate operational, full staff of the jock in the Chelsea office where the JTTF is located. And it became uh, a terrifying event, right? New York was was terrified, and we, you know learned that this this you know something had launched a a dumpster i think 200 plus feet across 23rd street and it was immediately you know all hands on deck we've got to find out what's going on here a bomb had gone off correct in chelsea correct yes and that bombing what did it result in were people killed were people injured there were no fatalities there were injuries Yes. And it was, again, it was a joint operation with John and his team, the NYPD and the FBI to immediately, you know, respond to the scene and find out, you know, what's going on here. We have, you know, potentially a terrorist on the loose in New York City. John, your recollections? You know, it was, uh, as you've kind of pointed towards, the miracle on 23rd Street. I mean, major picture this. Mm -hmm. You're at, you know, 830 at night on a Saturday in the middle of Chelsea, which is a bustling neighborhood of restaurants and bars and young people. um, And a bomb goes off, not a little bomb, a serious homemade explosive device. And no one is killed. Um, I have always thanked all of our stars, Destiny, God, whatever, whatever you subscribe to that no one was walking by that spot on that side of the street, you know, with a group of friends when that when that device went off. Um, but there's context behind that, which is it wasn't just any Saturday night. It was it was September 17th. Um, the United Nations General Assembly was um, meeting in New York. The leadership, uh, kings, presidents, premiers of 90 percent of the population of the planet Earth were under tight security in the same borough where we had a terrorist attack unfolding um, in prime time on a Saturday night. Before that, there had been a bombing at a Marine Corps charity race in New Jersey. And we were trying to figure out if these two incidents were connected. And while we were scratching our heads over how do we get pieces of this device and look at pieces of that device and see if they match another device, This one not exploded. A ticking bomb, a time bomb, was found a few blocks away. And if I recall correctly, these were pressure cooker bombs, John? That's right. These were uh, improvised explosive devices contained in pressure cookers, controlled by cellular telephones um, that were used as the timers for the device. And by the time we found that third one on 27th Street, Um, We knew that New York City and the metropolitan area was under attack because that was the third device that we had found that day and two of them had already gone off. And Ann, if I recall correctly, the year was 2016? That's correct. And uh, for those who remember the Boston Marathon bombing three years earlier, 2013, those were pressure cooker bombs. In the investigation that ensued, was there any connection whatsoever, direct, indirect, to that event? 
No, there was no connection to the Boston Marathon bomb, except that um, what we were seeing at the time was um, a sustained propaganda campaign by ISIS um, that even shadowed the former campaigns of of, of Al-Qaeda, basically um, asking people who were believers in the cause of ISIS to take up terrorism at home and directing them to online instructions to build devices like this. And what we were recognizing in the instructions that were there were they were based on an old Al-Qaeda recipe. It was in a, uh, a recipe to make a bomb that was published in their magazine, Inspire, which was an online magazine uh, under the headline, How to Make a Bomb in the Kitchen of Your Mom. And as we were gathering as we were gathering evidence that night, we were looking at the construct of these devices and saying, you know, this is a familiar recipe, um, which pretty much told us this is likely connected to terrorism. The show is called FBI True. The episode that delves deeply into the Chelsea bomber airs on the CBS television network October 10th. My guests are John Miller and Ann Began. back with both of them for segment two of The Takeout in just one second. Achieving a gorgeous grin from home isn't a total mystery with Bite Clear Aligners. Just don't be surprised if all of your sleuthing friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. Bite Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Man, that sunset is gorgeous. Grill, patio, sunset. Hard to get better than that. Unless you're browsing Carvana's inventory while you soak it all in. Oh, burger time. So sit back, get comfortable. Carvana's got thousands of cars under $20,000 just waiting for you. I could stay here forever. Carvana, where car buying meets comfort meets convenience. Download the app or visit Carvana.com today. Welcome back to The Takeout. I promise we'll get to Agent of Betrayal, the double life of Robert Hansen in due course. In the meantime, I want to talk, continue our conversation with our two special guests, Ann Began and John Miller, about FBI True a show on the CBS television network, in specific a case about the Chelsea bomber. So, Ann Began, who was the Chelsea bomber? Well, I think investigatively, that's probably better for something John to speak to, and then I can touch on why it was a good fit for our show, Major. Okay, John. So that was Ahmed Khan Rahimi. Um, He was an individual who was just not on the radar. You know, he lived in New Jersey. Um, He'd be briefly investigated uh, because of some things that um, he had said and his father thought he was being radicalized. Uh, But after an interview, he said, you know, what he really wanted to be was uh, somebody in law enforcement and, um, and, you know, that all of this wasn't true. So he went back off the radar. But what we found out after we identified him was that he had spent five months um, in Afghanistan, he said, visiting family, which made sense. He had a wife and children in Afghanistan Um, But we were really unable to account for what he did during those five months. But what we what we we do know now is he came back knowing how to make an array of improvised explosive devices, which he started placing around uh, New York City and New Jersey. Does the record reflect, John, that he was radicalized? It doesn't. Um, Our ability to kind of retrace his steps in Afghanistan um, didn't tell us that, but what we do know um, from what we found on him um, was his diary said, his diary quoted uh, the propaganda of ISIS. It said, uh, you know, what they're saying is to strike the non-believers at home where they live um, in America. And um, it quoted Ayman al-Zawahri, the leader of Al-Qaeda at the time. So he was he was clearly committed and and why did this make a good fit for the show again? It will be on CBS FBI True October 10th. Why is this a good fit? 
It's a good fit major because one of the things we do in our show is highlight the task force work, right? That it's not just the FBI. We have incredible partners that that help us do our job. We couldn't do it without them. And this is a shining example of a collaborative effort of agencies coming together to catch catch a, a terrorist on the loose. And it was the first episode that we filmed when we started filming FBI True. And, and um, go, ahead, could, go ahead, John. If I could just throw in the... The thing that I enjoyed about um, doing the show was, you know, you're kind of used to the uh, kind of the 60 minutes model. You sit down and somebody asks you a million questions. Um, The way they do FBI True is, you know, they go to a local bar, um, they pour a couple of beers and you sit across the people that you actually worked on the case with. And you the story ends up being told the way you would tell it, shooting the breeze at the bar, telling war stories from your career and it comes out um, differently that way, um, in some ways more real and more candid and um, in an odd way, um, sometimes with a few more laughs about the things that went right and wrong. And is that realism something that you believe is distinctive and you were after putting the show together? It is. That was the impetus for creating the show, Craig Turk and I realized when we were working on FBI together, the scripted show that he co-created with Dick Wolf. Um, part of the experience for him as he did his research was meeting agents offline outside of the formal conference room environment where they were get he would get briefings or the boss would peek in and see who was saying what to to him i set up dinners um and drinks john came actually the first night at the palm restaurant where we happened to have our premiere last night so that craig could hear how agents speak to each other because it's different it's very inside baseball and when i say agents i'm using that term to refer also of course, to task force partners, right, who are in lockstep with the FBI, especially in the New York field office. So to John's point, the show really captures the unique inside baseball feel of how we speak to one another. And the viewer literally leans in, you lean in and you're listening to two people speak about a case that they worked on together. And it's it's really special. And uh, I'm second to none of my admiration for the work that 60 Minutes does. But as you mentioned, John, it's a different format. It's very structured. Everyone makes sure the tie is properly right. tied and the lighting is such so and everyone and, and, and all the things around you are either convey or evoke a sense of drama if it's a serious subject or lightness if it's a feature story. I mean, there is a production quality to it. And as I listen to you, Anne, it's like you're trying to strip, strip some of that away and get to the way these conversations flow and the way the recollections are in a way that is far more approachable and far more genuine than that other very journalistically uh, reputable, don't get me wrong, Yep. 60 Minutes approach. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. We also drop you into the deep end of the pool. We don't spend any time introducing the backstory of who these people are, how they knew each other. It's bam, John, where were you when you heard about this? You got the call. Tell me what happened. You know, Chuck Berger, the other guest on the show. Where were you? I was at my son's football game in Alabama. I had to jump on a plane. You know, the night was ruined. I had to fly to New York. And then, you know, bam, here's the story. Here's what happened. I like to say there's no appetizers on our show. We just serve up the entree and it's the best entree you've ever had. And John, there is some value to that type of storytelling. Yes. Well, I mean, Major. You must have been through this as many times as I have, but you get the person, you sit them down over drinks or dinner, they tell you the whole thing, and then you get them in the interview and you're like, why can't they say it the way they said it when it was so interesting, you know, yesterday? <laughs> Where did that person um, go? But, Where did yeah. that person go? <laughs> right. right, exactly. <laughs> so, I mean, this show gets towards that a little bit, um, but then there's just the material. Um, if you look at the Chelsea bombing in terms of compelling it starts off with a bombing and then another bombing and then a ticking time bomb that may, if it doesn't blow up, give you the clue that's going to put you onto the person who's placing these bombs. And yes, it traces to Al Qaeda and ISIS because somebody throws that giant lever that exists somewhere in some basement where the entire resources of the FBI turn and are focused on one case, the lab going 24-7, DNA being run, phones being scoured and airplanes going back and forth with evidence i mean it's amazing when the entire thing is focused on something with that urgency and then as the story turns it literally culminates in an actual 
running gun battle, mm-hmm. which you are a part of because it's not just that it was captured on security cameras and video because it was, but you're you're in the body camera of the officer who gets shot at and then begins the chase. And then the body cameras of the other officers who join in. In terms of television storytelling, it's a real example of kind of the new millennium of what's available to bring a story like that to life beyond the recollections of Chuck Berger and I um, sitting at the bar. Um, And and, 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 and you mentioned from place to place. Right. And and you mentioned the importance of task force interaction cooperation. This is Lyndon police, an officer, a beat officer encountering what he doesn't know initially is the suspect, but then discovers it's the suspect. Take it from there. Yeah. Again, John, I'd like to investigatively just bring it back to you. Um, you so well take the viewers through it in that episode. Um, you know, those moments of when he encounters what he when he realizes this is the guy. It's um, it's almost like you can hear it, Major. <laughs> it's it's like you can hear like a click go off on his brain because what it is, is it's a quality of life call. Right. Mm-hmm. There's a. Uh, there's some uh, person sleeping in the doorway who doesn't belong there, could be um, a homeless individual, don't know. And the officer is going through the motions of, you know, what's your name? Where do you live? I'm homeless. Where are you from? And there's a moment of recognition where Angel, the cop, says to himself, you don't hear it out loud, but you can tell, oh, my God, he knows this is the bomber who is the subject of the widest, most important manhunt in the United States right now. And his tone changes as he starts to give instructions. And then the rest unfolds with the gunfire and the chase. That's right. And it's I've watched it and it is dramatic. And talk about the dramatic part of that as it fits into the show. Well, you you're along for the ride. The viewer, it is just it's you feel as if you are the officer in, in this and, and you feel as if you're making the decision. What what do I do now? I mean, it's just truly riveting, this this whole story. And you have to keep in mind, Manger, that this is after a Bolo alert had been sent out, which was, again, John's... Be on the lookout, right? Yep. It's first time ever used in a terrorism investigation. So this was just a city, a community, a tri-state area on the, the most high alert you can possibly imagine. Imagine what is going on in this cop's mind. And you feel that as the viewer, as you're watching this episode. You feel it every you know, step it's of the funny, way, Major, because uh, the officer, Angel, uh, I said, well, what'd you do that day? He said, you know, I I saw the news that, you know, the New York bomber was on the loose. Um, I, I went back home. I got my ballistic helmet. Um, I got his picture out of the paper. I taped it to the dashboard of the car and I went back on patrol. And I, I said, why did you think he was going to be there? He said, Commissioner. All roads lead to Linden, New Jersey. <laughs> it was just something I never knew. <laughs> but he was right. He was right. In this case, he was right. You'll see all of it, all of its dramatic trueness, tension, and arrest on FBI True on CBS Television, October 10th, the Chelsea Bomber. John Miller, I'm so grateful to see you again. Thanks so much. And Began, thank you. And uh, stay tuned for segment three of The Takeout coming up in just a second. Man, that sunset is gorgeous. Grill, patio, sunset. Hard to get better than that. Unless you're browsing Carvana's inventory while you soak it all in. Oh, burger time. So sit back, get comfortable. Carvana's got thousands of cars under $20,000 just waiting for you. I could stay here forever. Carvana, where car buying meets comfort meets convenience. Download the app or visit Carvana.com today. Delve into the shadows of the mind with Sleeping Dogs, a gripping murder mystery starring Academy Award winner Russell Crowe. Now available on digital. Crowe portrays an ex-homicide detective unraveling a brutal murder he can't recall. Uncovering secrets from his past, he learns a chilling truth. It's best to let sleeping dogs lie. Visit sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery to watch Sleeping Dogs, now on digital. That's sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery. 
Welcome back to The Takeout. I promised you we would talk in depth about, yes, one of my projects. You can see it over my shoulder, both left and right, Agent of Betrayal, The Double Life of Robert Hansen. And you're listening or watching this because you have some appreciation for the work I do and how I do it. So let me tell you this, and I rarely do this on this show or anywhere else. This is special. My team and I have worked on this very hard. I'm extremely proud of the work we did to tell this story the most comprehensive way it's ever been told. It's an important story that I think you'll find important as you listen to each and every episode. One episode is out now as we record this on October 3rd. Another episode will be out October 4th, and then one each Thursday in successive weeks until we run the full eight-episode run of Agent of Betrayal. And if there's audience interest, and I certainly hope there will be, trust me, we have plenty of bonus content should there be desire for it. So to continue the conversation about that, I want to bring in someone who helped us out on this project. His name is Rich Garcia. He joins us via Zoom from Los Angeles. Rich, it's great to see you. Thanks for joining me. Thank you. It's good to be here. Rich, uh, tell my audience what you were doing in the FBI at the time of the Robert Hansen case and in a broad sense, why the Robert Hansen story is important to the FBI then and still important to the FBI now. At the time of the Hansen investigation, which was late 2000, early 2001, I was assigned to FBI headquarters in Washington, D.C. I was then the section chief of a section called the operations section, which is basically a simple term of having the all of the data centers, networks, telephone systems, computer systems, laptops, and communication devices for the FBI globally. I paid the phone bill. So uh, I had a bunch of engineers and uh, computer specialists and other network type specialists working for me at the time. And when the investigation came about by Robert Hansen being a traitor, uh, there was a lot of uh, concern of what he actually did. And as the investigation continued, and there was a lot of people involved in this investigation, and everybody involved in the investigation were polygraphed and also were what they call a bigot list, where they were listed out of a need-to-know basis on this thing. And even in that need-to-know basis, not everybody in that list knew the entire extent of the investigation that's going on. So everybody had their part and had to work together. The significance of the thing is we had one of our own spying for the Russians. And we found later that not only was he spying for the Russians, but he was collecting information not only from the FBI, but other intelligence agencies on things and operations that involve Russia. And the damage that he did was so significant that a lot of it, even to this day, is still classified because of what it cost billions of dollars in damages as far as things that had to change because of what was given up, not to mention the lives that were lost due to his uh, passing of the information to the Russians. All of that is part of the both fascinating and repulsive part of this story. That's one of the reasons I got so curious about it. And Rich, I want you to help my audience try to understand because they would say to themselves, wow, this person was in the FBI. Did he do this for very long? And if he did it for very long, how come nobody got wise to him? Well, he was doing it for very long and he started out the late 70s, early 80s of, um, I guess says testing the waters, if you will. Uh, he was assigned in New York office of the FBI and was making approaches to uh, the GRU, which is the uh, military intelligence side of Russian um, intelligence services, try to see about passing information to them and in a sense conning them, if you will, that was not necessarily true information, but to get money from them. Uh, there's another story I think you're gonna, you have brought up, we'll be bringing up in the episode regarding how his wife was involved in that as far as catching him doing that. But I'll let that pass for right. others to listen to that part. But That's what we call a teaser, Rich. Thank you very yeah, much for that. It's a teaser, but it's, it's very interesting, <laughs> the dynamics between her and Hanson, Robert, on how he would do these different things. And, and I'll, I'll put this point in there. Robert Hanson had, in my opinion, because I worked with him in those two months before we arrested him, a variety of personalities, if you will. He would treat you 
depending on what he needed. And so he had a personality for the family life, personality for his friends, personality for colleagues, personality for people that he did not like. I was one of those because I hindered him in his operations, which he did not like. But what Hansen did, he started in the 80s of how to do different things. And what he was so good about how he was doing this is that he knew the operations of how the FBI and other intelligence services were investigating Russians and potential spies in the U.S. for Russia. And so he went between the lines, if you will, to contact them in order to pass information. But he also was very stern with the Russians that I cannot tell you my name. I cannot tell you what agency I work for, and I will not meet you. But he knew that because once somebody in the Russian side of the house that was turning to give information to the U.S. may start beginning to say, hey, well, we have this guy named Robert Hansen giving us information too, he will be caught. So he was very careful on how he did that tradecraft of being a spy. And that's basically to success of how he did it for so long because that, we did not know it was him. And that's a really important point, Rich, and it's something that we explore at some length in the podcast, Agent of Betrayal, that Robert Hansen was different. He did some things on a sophisticated level, and one of the most sophisticated ways in which he interacted, first with the Soviets, then with the Russians, was to not engage with them directly, never tell them his name, never tell them in which agency he worked, and never, ever, ever meet them which was unusual. Many people are either recruited or they're called walk-ins and they become known. And as you said, if you become known, you are in a certain way vulnerable because if anyone crosses over, they will trade your name for better deals from the Americans. And that's what Robert Hansen was most afraid of. True? That is true. And when there was an arrest of a CIA person named Aldrich Ames in 1992, they always do, when I say they, being the U.S. government, always put a threat assessment team together to determine the damage somebody like Ames might have caused. And Robert Hansen led the FBI team on that. And through that debriefing, if you will, or damage control, Hansen learned about two Russians in the embassy in Washington, D.C., that the services, being the U.S. services, had turned and was getting information. He passed that information to his handlers because he was fearful that they may start saying that we're still getting information, even though he did not have his name or the agency, but that the fact that there was still another mole out there, he was trying to protect himself. And unfortunately, those two were called back to Moscow. And that is such a vivid example of one of the amazing, one of the many amazing components of this story. Aldrich Ames was part of a frantic search for a mole in the U.S. intelligence community. He is discovered. He is arrested. And there's a sense of triumph about that. Wow, we got a mole. And who is one of the significant leaders of the damage assessment team? The other mole. The other mole. <laughs> I, mean, I mean, you can't make it up. It's almost a kind of a plot twist that maybe Hollywood would say, you know, that's a really good plot twist, but I think that's pushing things a little too far. I don't think the audience would follow along and grab that one. In fact, it's true. Another example of fact being stranger than fiction. That's true. And, and Hansen's ego was such that knowing that he was still a mole and he was involved in finding the extent of this information that Ames gave out just enhanced his ego. He felt that he was really bulletproof, if you will, and was guiding his protection. And that component of Robert Hansen's psyche, the ego dimension, is one of the many parts of it that lots of people have tried to unspool and unravel to try to get to the underlying motive. We're going to delve into some of the psychology of Robert Hansen, some of the whys and possible motivations. And ego plays a not insignificant role in that story. We'll do that in segment four of The Takeout with Rich Garcia. Back in just one second. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. 
That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Welcome back to The Takeout. This entire episode is sort of a large CBS collaboration with a focus on the FBI, both good and bad. So we're talking about the Robert Hansen case. That's a bit of a failure on one side, kind of a success story on the other. We'll get into that in a second. My podcast on this episodic serialized Agent of Betrayal, The Double Life of Robert Hansen is available now wherever you get your podcast. And on CBS television, the show we mentioned earlier in this episode of The Takeout, FBI True will also have, at some date in the future, an episode devoted to the Robert Hansen case. Rich Garcia is helping us explore some parts of the Robert Hansen saga. Rich, we went to break talking about the ego of Robert Hansen. And you mentioned that he was a very compartmented person, had lots of different personalities that he showed to different people under different circumstances. Talk to me about the ego component of the Robert Hansen story. Well, personally, my view of of why he did this, you know, why would you be a traitor to your own country? I think Robert Hansen was feeling like he was acting like God, mm. that he can control what the U.S. was doing and, in a sense, control what the Russians were doing. What that control is and what the intimate goal between doing this type of control, I don't know. But he felt that he can move the chess piece, if you will, of each of those countries based on what he was providing them, being the Russians. And Hansen was an expert on the Russians. He was also providing the U.S. government, the FBI and other intelligence agency, his assessment of what the Russians are doing. So he is kind of doing both sides. And I think that's, to me personally, he was playing God. He felt he can control whatever reason both of these governments. Yeah, so in the midst of a Cold War, this epic clash of nuclear powers facing off against the one another, both directly and in proxy wars around the globe. Robert Hansen sort of, from your vantage point, Rich Garcia, fancies himself as this master chess player, the one who is influencing the end result of this Cold War all by himself. And think of that. If you yourself was doing that, naturally you would have some sort of an ego or some sort of, uh, hey, look what I'm doing. And type of situation, so uh, it, it was, you know, quite, you know, foolish and dangerous to, for him to do that because you never know what's going to happen. You don't know the result of somebody in that country, being Russia, is going to decide. Well, I think we need to do this now, which could be very detrimental to the United States or another ally. But you know, it all changed when Russia in '91 fell and the wall came down. And that caused a little bit of a panic, and not only the Russians, but even to Hansen. What's going to happen? You know, how, you know, he went basically dormant, if you will, because he was fearful what was going to happen. In that same vein, a lot of the KGB members at the time were fearful too of what's going to be the new Russia. And fortunately for us, they raided their files, these guys and took files out thinking they could sell that information at some point down the road, not knowing how it's going to turn out for the fall of the wall to where they can at least have some money. And one of those individuals (laughs) happened to pick up the Hansen file. And picking up that Hansen file and keeping it for several years until such time as it became not only valuable to that former KGB agent, but also to the U.S. government, is something that we unspool in dramatic, and I promise you, ladies and gentlemen, dramatic detail, late in the uh, serialized podcast, Agent of Betrayal, The Double Life of Robert Hansen. Uh, Rich, talk to my audience about this duality of Robert Hansen. Uh, 
on one side, it's a very conspicuous, regrettable failure for the FBI that he was in their ranks, undetected for so long, did so much damage. And yet on the other side of the ledger, once detected, a very rapid, highly successful investigation and arrest culminates in his capture. Talk about that dualism that it's on one side, a very conspicuous failure, and on the other side, a basically grade A success. Well, the FBI, uh, amongst other agencies, but really on the FBI's part because of the variety of investigations we do and the talent that we have. Uh, I'm, I'm amazed at some of the agents who have given up being a doctor and end up being an astronaut to be an FBI agent. It's it just amazing that what they bring to the table. So we have this mold that we've been looking at. We found out through the efforts of a supervisor of Washington Field of actually finding the right person who had that package of the information of Hansen prior to the fall of the wall, that we had the wrong guy. And then as a result of finding out who is the real guy, happens to be an FBI agent who is going to retire mandatory in five months. And then the information that we did receive in that package, we could not use in court due to the sensitivity of the technique how it was collected. So we had to develop from scratch all of the evidence to try to arrest him, but not only arrest him just based on what he was doing, but catch him in some sort of overt act to really prove that he was in fact the spy. He was using aliases. We had to confirm that the aliases was in fact him. We had to set up a scenario to bring him from the State Department where he was assigned for the past four years in the Office of Foreign Mission. Director Free did not want this person who's a spy to be at another agency while we investigate him. Right. So they brought him to the FBI. Fortunate or unfortunate, they brought him to me. <laughs> right on your doorstep. <laughs> yes, sir. <laughs> and, so, and to your point, Rich, uh, and this is a really crucial dimension of the Hansen catch and convict part of it is, even though there was this dossier, even though there was this great information, you couldn't submit it to court. And because of that, you had to have something in real time that was actionable, and if it was put before a jury, would be uncontrovertible evidence that he was not only had been a spy, but was an active spy for the Russians. That true. is true. That is true. But the best part if by collecting the evidence that we wanted to get is you know you really did a good job if you have the guy, once you present the evidence to the, to the subject, he says, okay, I'm pleading guilty. I did it and confesses. That's the ultimate goal that you want to go to because it saves a lot on court costs. It saves a lot of different things you got to do and you get a conviction. We had to start, in essence, from scratch. We had an idea what was going on and the machine, I call it, at the FBI of pulling the right people, and there were a lot of them, the technical specialists, the analysts, the surveillance people, the technicians that were doing things for the coverage, all the different things that we're doing and how we're going to watch him and not make him suspicious that he flee the country. Right, because that's a big part of it, because you know Robert Hansen knows what to look for more than almost anyone else you would surveil. He knows what to look for. And he was looking for it actively. He was searching the computer systems for any hint that there was an investigation on him by his home address, uh, the addresses of the drops that he was making for the Russians, different things about his name, even the alias names that he was using, he was searching. And so we had to be able to be very careful in this elaborate undercover operation of our own person in our own building. So it's not like a typical undercover operation where you have a storefront and you got fake names and agents got backgrounds. And so no, we have to play ourselves, but in essence, we were working undercover. Yes. And that's mind blowing in of itself. FBI agents in headquarters acting undercover with someone they're investigating, walking the same corridors, going through the same metal detectors and whatever every single day, acting like everything is normal. And it's one of the most high profile, sensitive investigations in which the FBI director, Louis Free, is briefed about the progress of every single day. 
That's part of the story of Robert Hansen, ladies and gentlemen. We tell every dimension of it, every single dimension of it. In Agent of Betrayal, The Double Life of Robert Hansen, Rich Garcia has been our special guest to help us understand some components of that story. Rich, thanks so much. Stay tuned for your takeout, Outtake Especial, where Rich and I will have kind of a fun and games conversation, as we do every week. See you next week. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Welcome to your takeout Outtake Especial. I'm Major Garrett, of course. Uh, Yes, we are going to continue our conversation in general about Agent of Betrayal, the double life of Robert Hansen, an eight-episode serialized podcast investigatory report I've put together with my team here at CBS, Rich Garcia, formerly of the FBI, as our special guest. He was uh, one of many, as he said, as we closed out the original takeout, many, many, many people involved in the Robert Hansen investigation, a very successful, high-pressure, short-term investigation that went from discovery to arrest in very short order. Rich, one thing you talked about ever so briefly, and I want to hit on just for a moment before we get to the fun and games part, you said there was a time when the FBI was looking at the wrong guy. The wrong guy worked at the CIA. His name was Brian Kelly. I want our audience to know that in the retelling of the Robert Hansen story, the Brian Kelly part oftentimes gets shunted to the side. We don't do that. We go into great detail about who Brian Kelly was, why he was suspected of being a mole, and the resolution of that case in his favor ultimately, but he went through a lot of turmoil in the interim. Uh, Rich, any thoughts about how that part of the mole hunt was handled? I only know about that part from talking to my colleagues who were involved with that. And quite frankly, it was very sad that it had to happen that way and the way it came out. And unfortunately, in an investigations, when you have some sort of a, a lead that makes somebody potentially as a target, you have to run with it because it may be true. You have mm-hmm. to check all the different things. And sadly enough, sometimes it involves isolation of the target and also other types of things that the target themselves realize I'm being looked at. And you try to stop the bleed, if you will, if in fact the person isn't the one that's bad. But you got to do that. And then, and sadly, you're going to get sometimes an individual who is not involved who is not involved, but nevertheless was. And as we make very clear when we delve into this and we look at it from every different angle, at the beginning, there were very legitimate reasons to look into whether or not Brian Kelly was doing something criminal or nefarious. We don't deny that at all. That's but there true. are questions There are questions that have been raised subsequently about should it have gone on as long as it did. There is no ultimate answer to that. Um, but it's something that we explore in greater detail than I believe anyone looking at this case has. So well, you got uh, you, yeah, you to understand, understand real quickly, too, the package mm-hmm. that we received that we ultimately found out was Robert Hansen. All the information in that package, everybody at that time, even the intelligence agents at the CIA, thought that the information in there was going to come back to Brian Kelly. Mm-hmm. It wasn't until the fingerprints came back to Hansen and the tape recording on the cassette that was in it was Hansen's voice that they said, oh, my God, we got the wrong guy. It's our own. And that oh, my God moment will be vividly portrayed with all the people directly involved in Agent of Betrayal, the double life of Robert Hansen. Okay, fun and games part, Rich. So uh, I don't know if you're familiar with what we do on the show, but we ask all of our guests, a special guest, each and every one, and you certainly qualify as a special guest, to answer these three questions. Take them in whichever order you prefer. Uh, Most influential book in your life and why? Favorite movie, meaning a movie if you're scrolling along, streaming or cable, and you see it, you stop. 
just because it's a favorite movie of yours? And if you're taking a long drive or a long flight, what kind of music, artist, or genre are you most likely to listen to? Let's start with the music. ACDC. <laughs> I believe in seven years, that's the first time ACDC has been mentioned. Well I, done. I, I love that genre and the singer and how they sing. And, and if I'm by myself driving or having a, in my earpiece in, a, in an aircraft, I'm smiling. Listening to <laughs> uh, Favorite movie, uh, Patton. The leadership shown there and the edge that he pushed a lot kind of reminded me of people I used to work with that mm -hmm. I respect the way they do things because you can't just sit back and run a, an operation at your desk. You got to be in the field. You got to be able to see what's going on. You got to be able to talk to the people you're working with to make sure they know clearly what you want them to do. So I enjoyed watching the movie Patton from time to time. And book? And book. I always like the Ludlum books. And it's just the... Uh, Robert Ludlum, right? Robert Ludlum, the, the spy versus spy type situation, the terrorism type, different things. You know, he, he was right there along with, with the... Uh, Clear and present danger individual who uh, wrote those books too. Tom Clancy. Tom Clancy. He, I got to meet him at FBI headquarters when I was working in the, the drug section. And the book Clear and Present Danger. There was a little town he mentioned in the book, which I was working on, and I kind of asked, "How did you know about that town?" And he didn't respond, but it's just amazing his research. Let's put it that way. Excellent. Uh, ACDC, Patton, and Robert Ludlam. That's a terrific combination. Rich Garcia, thank you so much for your time. It's a pleasure. Ladies and gentlemen, we'll see you next week. The Takeout is produced by Arden Fari, Jamie Benson, Sarah Cook, Ellie Watson, Jake Rosen, and Ashley Armstrong. CBSN production by Eric Susanen. Follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Takeout Podcast. That's at Takeout Podcast. And for more, go to takeoutpodcast.com. The Takeout is a production of CBS News. If you like The Takeout, you can listen early and ad-free right now by joining Wondery Plus in the Wondery app or on Apple Podcasts. Prime members can listen ad-free on Amazon Music. Before you go, tell us about yourself by filling out a short survey at wondery.com survey. Look around. You can find cars like these on AutoTrader. New cars, used cars, electric cars, maybe even flying cars. Okay, no flying cars, but as soon as they get invented, they'll be on Auto Trader. Just you wait. Auto Trader. Hi, this is Jill Schlesinger, CBS News business analyst, certified financial planner, and host of the Money Watch podcast. This is the show where your money is not scary and it's not boring. It is a show that's all about you. It's your questions that make it possible for me to provide unconventional and entertaining insights on your money and maybe more importantly, on your life. I'm going to be your financial coach, someone who brings common sense and an insider's perspective on how to manage your money and your emotions. And I promise we are going to have a little bit of fun along the way. Have a question from retirement to career changes to college funding? Just send us an email at askjill at jillonmoney.com. Follow Money Watch wherever you get your podcasts. You can listen ad-free on the Amazon Music or Wondery app.